tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into yeah. kind of because obviously it's been a sort of personal journey for yes, you of be, you know becoming anxious and finding a way through that. So yes, just yeah, tell us yeah, a little yeah. bit of your story, Jules. Of... So um, I started uh, in my early twenties. I had what would we describe as a panic attack, which came out of nowhere. And I and it felt just in that day that from that moment my thought patterns completely changed and everything that I was like a trapdoor had opened in my mind and all the fears I could possibly have just seemed to overtake my thought processes. Now before before that point I would have said I don't think I'm an anxious person. I wasn't. I didn't feel as though I was a worrier. Um, but it just felt as though this had come out of the blue. And I, um, however, I since realised that that had been, I had been worrying for many years, but, and this was kind of some, a culmination of that. So, I mean, a couple of things that happened previously, running up to having this panic attack, and then that happened. And then I, from that moment, I was petrified about that kind of experience happening again. Um, and so, and I didn't know anybody else who had this experience. You know, I was like, well, what's wrong with me? What's going on? So I would avoid, I, slowly but surely, I started to notice that more and more fear was coming into my life. So I'd avoid anything that I thought would bring on any panic or any fear. Now, I was living in London at the time. Um, and um, one of the things that I used to find really scary was going on the tube or going in lifts, or going in anywhere that I felt so I couldn't go out, get out of. So to, to kind of stop the panic attacks, I would avoid going on those kind of things, and that was okay, I was avoiding stuff, it was fine. I was, at that time, I was also a youth worker at a church, um, church called Holy Trinity, Holy Trinity Bronson in London, and I was also had a faith, a Christian faith, and... Um, um, but I was, I was reading about all this stuff about peace that we can get from God, and I did, wasn't feeling it at all. I was like, oh my goodness, I've got all these fearful thoughts going around in my mind, um, and I don't know who to talk to about it. Because I tried to talk to people about it, and people would look at me as though there was something wrong with me, or they'd kind of go, oh, okay, um, well, oh, I don't know what to do about it. And this was like in my early 20s, so this is like 20-odd years ago. And um, so I came felt really isolated and really ashamed of being so fearful. And because I did nothing about it and tried to manage it in my own way through avoidance, it, it grew, the anxiety grew, because there were things that I kind of started to perceive, like, this is going to bring on a, t- a panic attack, so I won't do this, and this is going to bring on a panic attack, so I won't do that. And so I noticed my thoughts became more and more negative over time, and I became more and more defensive in my behaviours and more and more controlling in the way that I was living. Um, and again, just feeling like a complete hi- hypocrite. I would look something on, on the outside, but I felt as though I always had this like, little tormenting, tormenting voice saying to me, ah, but what about this? Or this could go wrong, or that could go wrong, or whatever. Something horrible is going to happen. I always had this kind of impending sense of doom. Now, this built up over about 10 years. And I got to a point where I knew, after I'd had my second child, that I knew I was really unwell. I was probably, at that point, I would have something called generalised anxiety disorder. So I felt on edge all the time. I felt sick all the time. My heart was racing quite a lot of the time. And I I was very low as well. And I remember saying to my husband, who is the most chilled out, laid back guy, going, I really don't feel very well. I really don't know what to do. And he was like, oh gosh, yeah. And he could see that there was something not right with me. 
but not, uh, neither of us really knew what, what, was, what we could do about it. And I remember, because I have a fair Christian faith, I remember praying, I've prayed about this a number of times, and praying and saying, okay, God, I need to know what I need to do about this. This is my last stitch attempt, because I feel terrible. And I opened my Bible, and I read a verse which said, um, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but change who you are by changing the way that you think. Now, there was something about this line, about changing the way that you think, that really jumped out at me. And I just thought, well, what do you mean, changing the way that you think? I don't understand that. And then, strangely, over the next course of the next 24 hours, somebody sent me a text with this Bible verse in, and some, you know, a couple of other coincidences happened, which I was like, there's something about this changing the way that you think. I then made an appointment to go and see a doctor, and I went in go and see this doctor, having a panic attack, <laughs> and I tried to explain what was going on with me, and I found it so difficult to explain, but I was just like, and just, and he just sat there, and he just listened, and he just looked at me, and he just said, okay, you need to change the way that you think, <laughs> and I was like, you're right, <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, and it was like, somebody opened a window, and like, fresh air just come in, because I was like, this is the way that I have to go, because I didn't know there was a way out of anxiety at that point. So, um, so he then referred me to somebody else, and he referred me to a cognitive behavioural therapist, which I'll talk a little bit further about in, um, later on, um, who was brilliant and explained to me how to um, manage panic attacks and what was going on in my thought processes and how I wasn't helping myself and how I can help myself. And also I went to medication at the time as well because I was so on edge. To try and think straight was hard. And also because I felt low in my mood, my motivation was sometimes not there because it was just everything felt like you were trying to get walk, walking through mud the whole time because it was hard work. So I went on some medication, um, and which really helps as well because it helped to even out my mood. And again, I'll talk a little bit further about that later. And I got better pretty quickly from that because it was immediate. Like, I know I'm on the right track. I know that I can change the way that I think. I know this is not a life sentence. I know that there is hope. It was hope that was the thing that was really, really helped me. Um, and after my kind of bit of time with the cognitive behavioural therapist, I started doing all the things that I hadn't done for a long time. So I did go on the tube. I did go on phones. I did do all of those things. And it wasn't, was, I, was, I couldn't say, oh yes, I was anxiety free. However, I managed it and then got very pleased with myself for doing it and, and that kind of stuff. But then it was kind of, it felt like um, I, from that moment on, it was kind of an up and down trajectory. So I got free from being worried about panic attacks, but I still had a lot of negative thinking going on in my mind. I got into the habit of worrying about everything and wanting to make sure that everything was going okay. So it felt as though there were certain points along in my recovery where I'd get to a point of like, yeah, I'm free, and then something else would pop up. And I'd follow up with all those again. I'd come up, I came off the medication after two years, actually, but, but every time I came to a point where I thought, oh gosh, I'm stuck, I'd either listen to a talk, or I'd read something, or I'd try something out, and it was like another step ahead in moving away from these anxious patterns and behaviours. And because I was so kind of thrilled that there was a way out, I became quite evangelistic <laughs> about this. Because I, I remember when I first started receiving with it, 
I knew no one at that time who had anxiety and I knew how isolating it was. So I thought, I'm going to start talking about this a lot, which I did a lot. And, um, and then, uh, so then people would start, I would start to see people and just kind of have chats with them, just friends helping friends. I was never saying I'm a healthcare professional or anything like that. And then out of that, about four or five years ago, I put together, I just felt like actually it'd be really helpful to put together a course or a group which could help people with anxiety. So we put something together called Tackling Anxiety Together, which we started in my living room at home. We had maybe about five or six people. Um, And then it started growing and growing and growing. And, um, And so it's basically grown from there, really. And particularly over the pandemic, we had a lot of people wanting to come on it so we did a we did the courses online and um yeah there was we had we had about like at least about 200 people go through or we did about three different courses and um, and what was wonderful was seeing the people who've been on the courses before getting better and then coming to being helpers on the course and then kind of sharing the skills that they've learned and, and encouraging other people because the key was the hope there's a hope that there's a way out there is a way that we can manage this anxiety so yeah so that's where we're at okay yeah excellent so so anxiety you said it it's you often feel very isolated because you kind of think you're the only you're the only yeah. you're the only person that's feeling it's like a lot of things you think well i'm the only person that's and i think particularly in um, kind of in, in, in church circles because Christians are supposed to be happy all the time it's kind of it's really hard to admit to the fact that actually you're really you know you're, you're really yeah, struggling there's kind of this expectation that if you're a Christian then you must have life sorted and you've got you know you've got everything together mm. so what kind of because we all worry about things but what really sort of causes anxiety what, mm. and get, kind of gets it to that level where mm. it becomes Debilitating. So I know, in, you know, in you know, in my family, with my with my girls, you know, they mm. you know they suffer from panic attacks. And mm. so, what is it that kind of gets you from just worrying about things to it becoming yeah. Yeah. really debilitating? Right. So, good question. So, um, first of all, I think a lot of people who think that they, when they suffer from anxiety, they think there's something wrong with them. I really thought I was going mad, mm. um, and I think that freaked me out as well. So. Um, so first of all people who suffer from anxiety it's quite a normal thing to have there's nothing deeply intrinsically wrong with you if you suffer from a bit of anxiety every now now and then Um, and there are various different reasons why people suffer from anxiety sometimes it's a nature thing sometimes it's a nurture thing sometimes it's a little bit of both but studies have shown um, regarding the nurture thing that if you have been in a family where perhaps you have had a parent who was a worrier and acted in, in, and carried that out in behaviours, um, you will have kind of soaked that up a little bit yourself. So that's a, a learned behaviour. Um, however, you might, I don't think I was brought up in a family of worriers. I look at my parents, they weren't that kind of way inclined, I don't think. Um, however, I think you might you could be suffering from anxiety because of certain events that might have happened or circumstances that we've gone through because through the pandemic, anxiety and mental health issues have gone through the roof because of what we've just gone through in the last couple of years. Um, some of us just physiologically are just more reactive than others. So when I first started um, seeing um, the psychiatrist alongside the cognitive behavioural therapist, 
I remember this very clever man explaining to me that some people are just more reactive than others. So he would say, there were some people who go along life on, on a graph like this, and they might have a little, cha- oh, not a little challenge, they may have a challenge, or an event, or a scary thing that comes up, and they're kind of... Their, their reaction just goes a bit like that and then it goes back down it goes back to something called homeostasis which is the bit where you're just feeling completely in the middle and at, at ease and fine with the world and then they carry on with their lives however some of us which I would definitely count myself included we are actually starting on a higher bar we're just a little bit more reactive in our physiology you know, we're just a bit more like we get a bit more excited or a bit more joyful or a bit more set or a bit more sensitive and um, so you're starting on this kind of slightly higher bar and when something, when a life comes, you go along in life and then you have an event happen or something, a challenge and we react much quicker just because of our body chemistry. We react in a higher way. And so that's a bigger spike and because it's a bigger, bigger spike, it takes more, a longer time to come back to a more kind of harm. Okay, um, state. And that's just sometimes our physiology. So it can be um, nature, it can just be our body makeup, it can be through things that have happened to us, it can be all of those things. Um, but there is good news about people who suffer from anxiety is that studies have shown that people who suffer from more than the average amount of anxiety are analytical, they're problem solvers, they're imaginative. They're above average intelligence. <laughs> um, I did that myself, but no, they did say that. Um, and you are empathetic, and you're sensitive, and you've got all these amazing gifts inside of you. However, we're using the gifts the wrong way around. We're, we're turning in on themselves. So instead of being like a problem solver and kind of going, yeah, I can get things done, we, keep our, we use our analytical skills to continue to kind of analyse everything. Or if you're imaginative, you might, or, and creative, instead of imagining the best case scenario, we imagine the worst case scenario. Or if you're sensitive and empathetic, you, you know, somebody's talking to you about a problem, and because you're a feeler, you feel what they're feeling, and your mood can go down as well, but, and you end up feeling, oh, because you're so empathetic and um, feeling, and you just, we just need to learn how to use these skills. Well, well they are skills, but th- these things that we have within us, for our benefit, rather from um, okay. from from um, rather than kind of turning in on themselves and not helping us, but we might have different types of things that spark our anxiety. Some of us have social anxiety. Some of us have phobias. Some of us have health anxiety, money, relationships. If there's something to worry about, we can, we can find something yeah. to worry about. You know, and again, that can be born out of traumatic events. That can be born out of guilt and shame about something that we've done in our past or, or low self-esteem, all of those things. Um, but um, anxiety itself often comes from the way we think about things, our perspective. Every single person in this world has got something inside of them called a stress cycle. And the stress cycle is put inside of us to help us deal with challenges and, thing, and danger and dangerous things. So um, the stress cycle activates two parts of our brain, the amygdala, which is the more reactive part of our brain, and then the cognitive side of our brain, which is the thinking and rationalising side. So 
a simple example of a stress cycle response is if you're driving down the road and um, a car is coming in the other direction, you can see that it's about to veer into your, into your path, you immediately, without even thinking about it, you, your body reacts. So your heart rate will speed up, your focus will become on what you have to do, you might, your breathing might start kind of going quicker, and you're, you swerve out of the way almost immediately. To, to avoid the danger. And then after the danger has passed, um, you then, all these physical reactions then come back down and you come back to this place of um, being okay again. And that's part of the stress cycle. Um, and that's, the stress cycle comes, starts to be, is kind of prompted by a, a, an event or a thought. Um, and it's good for us. We need to have those things for challenges and all sorts of things. However, this stress cycle becomes a problem if we don't switch it off. Now, uh, often the stress that we have comes from our thinking. So we might be thinking about something and thinking that it's only having an effect up here. However, it's having an effect in the rest of our bodies. We are uh, we're kind of almost working our bodies up to be ready to face the challenge whether it's a real challenge or something that we're imagining ourselves. So, for example, when I um, avoided going on a tube, there were times when I had to go on a tube, um, and I would constantly think about it, um, the lead up to it, everything, you know, what, what if, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, what if this, you know, and, and by the time I actually got to the actual event and to the tube station, I would be so worked up because the stress cycle had kicked in from days and days of thinking about this thing that I would be having a panic attack by the time I actually got on the tube or I avoid it altogether. But it all came from my thought processes. It didn't come from the actual trip tube. It didn't actually come from um, there was any danger there. It was what I'd worked up in my thinking. So anxiety doesn't always come from the circumstances around us. Yes, there are things that are challenges and there are things that worry us, but a lot of what causes our anxiety is something that's perceived that we can't handle. A lot of anxiety is based on worries about our futures and things that could possibly go wrong, the what-ifs. And so you can see, for example, that um, people can have different perceptions about things. You know... I, my, me and my husband um, used to both love skiing. He still loves skiing. However, a couple of years ago, I had a fall down a mountain. It wasn't bad, I was fine. However, since then, I've, I, I'm a bit more nervous. But when we both look down this kind of ski run now, he's like, whoa, this is brilliant. How exciting. And I'm like, oh, because it's, <laughs> it's the same ski run, but we have different perceptions on it. And so, uh, as, uh, so what I'm trying to say is that a lot of our anxiety comes from yes. our yes. thought processes yeah, yeah. and what we think about ourselves and the world around us. And that's okay. where anxiety starts okay. to yeah, come yeah. from. Yes, yeah, no, that's really, really helpful. So, oh, I've got a few things more to say. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, yes, sorry. yeah, yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> keep I'll going. going. Keep that's going. Right. I'm just chucking a question <laughs> yeah, yeah, every now and again. Yeah. 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 You keep going. So, so there is good news about all of this. Yeah, yeah. So you might think, okay, well, you know, is it all about my thinking? And as I mentioned at the beginning of the, the, the evening, um, we can start to change the way we think. And this has been proven by neuroscience. Um, so there's a lady called Dr. Caroline Leaf. I don't know if you've oh, yeah. heard of her. She's really brilliant. And yeah. she talks about how our thoughts look like trees in our brain. 
And a good thought and a bad thought actually look very, very different. A bad thought is a tree as well, but then it has little toxins on the end of it that kind of shoots out kind of toxins into our body and makes us feel on edge. And that's why they often get our attention because they're the things like, oh, I don't feel quite right, or I must pay attention to this. And that is a negative thought. And so when she was saying this, um, somebody asked her, well, can you actually change these thoughts? Are these kind of stuck in your head forever? Is there any hope? And she says, actually, yes, we can change our thoughts because our brain has something called neuroplasticity. And she says you can actually take the toxins off the trees by purposely thinking in a different way and acting and behaving in a different way and having a different approach to something. And she says, she, can even, she says you can even start to take those toxins off the tree within about four days. And then you can build a new thought over the top of that. And you can change the way your, your perspective and you can change the way you look at things and also the way you look at, at yourself. So, yeah, so that is good news. Yeah, yeah. So if you, um, if, you know, if you do suffer from you know, panic attacks and you, you're kind of going into a situation and you feel that fear start to rise, yeah. what, what are the strategies that you can, okay. that you can kind of put yeah. in place to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. to manage that before it becomes overwhelming? And yes, yes, yes. So, um, so we all feel anxious at any different given yeah. points and I'll cover a little bit more anxiety of the mm. panic attacks in, um, in a moment. However, when we're, when we're anxious... One of the, the key things to recognise is not all our thoughts are, and feelings are true and they're not always very helpful. I mean, if somebody could have looked into my brain when I was not very well, you would have looked and gone, goodness me, what's going on in there? What, why is she even thinking those things? And you yeah. could have said to me, none of that, not those, those aren't true. But at the time, I was like, because I'm thinking it, it must be true. Because this is the way I'm looking at it, it must be true. Or this must be helpful for me. But when you start off by saying, actually, is this thought helpful? Is this thought true? Is there any evidence to back up the thought that this could go wrong? Or this, this isn't going to work out for me? Or, um, or, you know, all the things that we worry about. So the first point is kind of going, is this thought true? Is it helpful? You know, you talk to yourself as, you, as a friend would talk to yourself, saying, kind of going, okay, I am going to be all right. Actually, 90% of what I worry about often actually doesn't happen. And even if it has happened, um, I'm still here living to tell the tale. I am stronger than I think I am. Um, and so then you can start asking yourself those questions and start using kind of empathetic language and kind, what's called kind self-talk to yourself. Um, and one of the things that I found really helpful as well is just making it really practical. So when you are worrying about something and you're sat, you're sat in your chair or you're kind of driving along and you're thinking about something that's going endlessly around in your mind... You can start to take control of it. You can start to say, can I do anything about this particular thing that I'm worrying about? Because a lot of anxiety makes us feel like we're a victim. A lot of anxiety makes us feel powerless, but actually we can take the power back. I know it sounds very American, but we can take the power back. But actually saying, can I do something about it? If you can do something about whatever you're worrying about, go and do it. Because act, mood changes, follows action. 
when we do change the kind of narrative of like, I can't do anything about this, I'm out of control, and actually taking control, you build your self-esteem and you actually kind of go, actually, I can do something about it. Um, don't lie in bed or sit there thinking all these self-sabotaging thoughts because it just doesn't help you. You can say to yourself, I'm not helping myself by constantly going, going this going round and round in my head. There's a lady called um, Mel Robbins. I don't know if anybody have heard, have heard of her. She wrote a book called The Five Second Rule. And she is someone who suffered from terrible anxiety and really bad depression and her life is falling apart. She's an alcoholic and all sorts of things. And she talks about, she got to a point in her life where she was like, I don't know what to do anymore. She felt like a terrible mother. She thought she was a, ter- she felt she was a terrible wife, a, a marriage falling apart. And she said every morning she'd wake up and think, my life's terrible. And she would lie in bed just thinking of self-sabotage. And she'd end up kind of staying in bed. She wouldn't, go, she wouldn't do anything. And she'd end up drinking. And then one night... She was walking past the TV, thinking it's all going to be different tomorrow, but not knowing how it was going to be different tomorrow. And she saw this rocket on TV going, taking off, and it was, and the guy was counting five, four, three, two, one backwards, and then blast off. And she said, "That's what I'm going to be like tomorrow when I get up, wake up. I'm going to after I'm going to count five, four, three, two, one, and then I'm going to jump out of bed." And, um, and she, what she didn't realize that she'd stumbled upon something really fantastic. Because when you count backwards in your head, you cannot think anything else. So she woke up again. She had all these sabotaging thoughts. But she was like, no, five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to get up. And it blocks the sabotaging thoughts. And because she got out of bed, she went to go and have a shower. And then she started to go. And every time those thoughts came in again, she would try and block it with this five, four, three, two, one rule. And she ended up getting her life back together because she wasn't ruminating and spending all of her time with this self-sabotaging thoughts that were like, you're never going to do anything, and you are all, all the things that we know that we have, all the things that she was going to worry about. So that, so can, we can take control of our thoughts by, can we do anything about our, our worries? Can we do anything about them? If we can, do something about it, or write it down, or talk to a friend about it, you know, make an appointment with a doctor or the bank manager, or apply for a different job, or take... Take action and start backing yourself to be able to take control of your lives. Um, if it's something you can't do anything about, because a lot of the stuff that we have is kind of imagined worry, things that we think could happen but might not happen, but we're still worrying about it. You kind of go, well, that's not helpful either, thinking about that kind of stuff, because I don't know how this is going to work out. But you can do things like if you have a faith, you can pray about it. You can write it down. You can remind yourself of all the things that have gone right in the past, which you thought might have gone wrong. Um, so you, and then when you've done that, you distract yourself and go off and do something else, rather than, again, sitting in the, the, the kind of worrying soup that you could be in. So, and then another thing that is really good to kind of go through a checklist of when you're feeling anxious and you're worrying, do something about it, take control, and... Um, Another thing is to actually ask yourself, am I tired? Um, am I hungry? Have I just eaten or something really sh- or drank something really sugary? Have I, you know, because our body sugars really react to what we put inside it. So sometimes just by recognising, oh, actually, I've just had a Coke 10 minutes ago, that's why I'm feeling a bit jittery, or I've had some caffeine or whatever. Or have I been watching too much of the news? 
and reading too much of the news, that can again work us up all the time, again, not always helping us. So you kind of go, well, okay, now I understand where it's coming from, maybe uh, that, that helps me calm down, or maybe I just need to step away from watching, reading the news the whole time, or watching scary yeah. movies, or, or anything like that. Or am I hormonal, or something along those lines. Um, and then don't project ahead as well. Don't kind of um, think that everything's going to go wrong in the future, kind of try and stay in the present um, panic attacks. So I just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, if I'm being too much, I'll just stop. Panic attacks. Not everybody suffers from panic attacks. Um, there's a, there's some of us do, and some of the panic attacks are basically a strong physiological reaction to what's going on um, in a particular circumstance. So you may have a phobia about something like I did, and your heart might start racing, and you might start breathing, or you might feel a bit sweaty. You know, yeah, you might feel a bit sick. All of those different types of things. Um, and actually, one of the things that you can do that can really help you regarding it when that kind of, if that stuff happens, is actually, first of all, say, this is just adrenaline going around in my body. So when this stress cycle hits and the amygdala produces this adrenaline, it's really just there for our protection. A lot of us think we're, we're dying or there's something really wrong with us. Actually, it's just our body kind of going, oh, okay, he thinks that there's something to be afraid of. It's, it's got, it will calm down. And it does always calm down. And the way that you can do that is through um, breathing exercises. So there's a great breathing exercise, which is called the 478 breathing technique, which is you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for seven seconds, and then you let out a long breath at the end for eight seconds. Um, and it's this long breath at the end that um, stimulates something called, I'm just going to have to read it, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest system, which helps you, reassures you and helps you to calm down. And that has been proven to um, reduce um, heart rate and blood pressure and help people feel much calmer when they feel feeling stressed. So you can do that maybe two or three times a day or when you're feeling stressed at that time. If you're in a full panic attack, which I used to suffer from a lot of the time. One of the things that I read when I, um, very early on was actually, you've got this adrenaline going around in your body, don't be scared of it, use it. You're like an, a car in, in, an, in, a, in a high gear and you're like kind of revving and you need to go off and do something. So um, I used to go do some frantic cleaning or, uh, or some exercise or like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? What do I... I want to go and um, learn something or, or whatever. Use, this, use it as a kind of a source of energy that's in your body. So you're not seeing it as something scary. You're seeing it as something, oh, this is useful at this particular time. Um, start writing things down. Maybe you want to say, okay, well, these are my goals for the future or, or whatever. Um, but the, the biggest thing is to say, this is not something to be scared of. It is just adrenaline. It will calm down. You, and another thing that you can do which helps is it's going to five four three two one one where you basically you've got your hand your fingers and you go five four three two one and you, that's a kind of a grounding technique again it's kind of cutting off all the sabotaging worrying thoughts and it just calms you down and your heart rate calms down so there's lots of things that you can do to help yourself when you're feeling anxious um, or if you're having all the kind of physical symptoms of anxiety you can learn. You, um, there's so much stuff that you can learn um, um, there's so many books out there about how to get over 
fear and panic and things like that, and phobias. Um, if you have social phobia, um, a doctor um, I was listening to recently says that what she does is that she prescribes that that person go and learn some new skills about how to socialise better. So she, said, she says to her, to her um, clients who are particularly worried about talking to people, she says, just go to your coffee shop and practice saying hello and asking for a coffee. Or decaf coffee, because you don't want to be buzzing. Um, and, and then just learning you still, again, it's just that taking control. Um, and you will then, when you're starting to take control, it doesn't feel so scary. And then the fear starts to um, go away. Stay in the presence and sit with it. I had to go into certain situations where it made me a bit scared. But actually using all the techniques that I had... When I, I would find myself calming down, and, and then afterwards, be like, actually, I'm okay. I don't need to be scared of going on a plane, or I don't need to be scared of going in the lift, or all of those different kinds of things. And then you're really, you, what you're doing is you're kind of building up your resilience in your brain to say, actually, I can do these things that I used to avoid. Excellent. Thank you, Jules. Jules, just tell us a little bit about how your you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, obviously being a Christian, that your you know faith has a has a, has a dimension to play yeah. in this. So just tell us a little bit about, about what difference that has, you know, that's oh, kind of made for, yes. you know, made, made for you and yeah, having, yeah. having a relationship with God through Jesus. What, how so, has that um, yeah. helped? Yeah, or? so at first it didn't help because I was like reading all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like, yes, I'm meant to be in peace yeah. But what I didn't realise that I wasn't actually applying what the Bible was actually telling me to do. I just thought it was something that was just going to land on me and that, and that was that. Yeah. Um, so, faith has a huge impact in helping people in a sense of well-being. It just, it really, really does. First of all, it's, when you're part of, when you have faith, you're part of a community, like a part of this kind of community where you can come along to those things and you can find a sense of belonging. Um, and a sense where you can actually be yourself, you can make friends, you can chat with people and things like that. And that really helps promote well-being. And when you feel well, have a good sense of well-being, then your anxiety starts to come down. The National Alliance on Mental Illness wrote an article about the importance of community and how it's critical for us to thrive. And it gives, said it gives us a sense of belonging, it can give us a place of support, and it also can give us a place of purpose. So, you know, often you can find in these kind of communities that there are things that we can do to get support from people, but also we can do, we can have purpose in helping out in our community and, and doing different things through that. Um, now, there was um, a guy called Arthur C. Brooks, who is a social scientist, and he's written a book called um, Strength to Strength, Finding Success and Happiness and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Your Life, and it's a Number one, New York Times, absolute bestseller. Now, this guy is a very clever guy. He used to be head of a Washington, D.C. think tank. Um, and he found that he got to a stage in his life in his mid-50s when he was starting to feel unhappy in his life. He looked like a really successful man. And he, but he, and he was happily married, got children and everything. But he found that he wasn't feeling particularly happy with his life and he was on an aeroplane one night one day and he was and he saw the people behind he was listening because he, he says because I'm a social scientist 
He says, I was listening to the conversation from the people who were sat behind him, and he, he recognised it was an older man and his wife. And this older man was saying, well, I might as well be dead. No, one's li- no one listens to me now. There's no point in my life. And clearly this man was actually very depressed. And his wife was saying to him, no, 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 darling, you, you know, and trying to gee him along. And, it, and anyway, so that's how the conversation went. As the plane landed the next morning, the lights came on on the plane and this Arthur C. Um, Clark, Clark, Arthur Brooks, so stands up and he wants to have a little look at who this, these people are. Turns around and he says he recognised who this man was straight away. This man was a very, very successful man. He'd earned a lot of money. He wasn't a politician, he wasn't an entertainer, but he'd done a lot for, for humanity. And he, out of everybody, should be quite happy with his life. But he realised he this man wasn't very happy in his life. He didn't have this sense of well-being, which then, in turn, led this guy, Arthur Brooks, to look into this about happiness and well-being. And he said that he found that there is, both, nearly all of us have a hole in our soul. Now, we talk about, about this in the Christian faith a lot. You know, we have something in our lives where we feel as though we're empty. And he comes and he immediately says from his findings, he says, from all my research, he says, love is the key to fill this hole. Now, obviously, God says, I am love. He is the beginning of love. Everything about God is love. He talks in the Bible about we love because he first mm-hmm. loved us. And he goes, Arthur Brooks goes on to say, um, fear and love are opposite things. And both philosophically and cognitively. And the way to fill that hole and replace the fear is through four different things. And one of the first things he says is through faith. The second thing is through family and friendship and service to others. Um, And this has started his re-kind of um, connection with his faith as well. And he's noticed that when he started looking into his faith and doing, putting all the other things in, like putting these love relationships as being the important things, his sense of well-being has gone right up. And, you feel, and the byproduct of that is love. And he goes and says, only love will truly satisfy us and we need to prioritise love relationships with one another, but also outside of ourselves as well. And Jesus said, so this really kind of backs up my faith for me, because when Jesus was asked by the people who followed him around, the disciples, they said, you know, well, what is the best thing we can do with our lives? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbour as you love yourself. So love God, love others, and love yourself. And, um, and the whole of the Christian faith is all around love, and it is the antidote to fear and the biggest thing that we can do to bring in a sense of well-being and purpose in our lives and live a much more fulfilled life. And when we start exploring and recognising the possibility of a God outside of ourselves, or knowing that we have a God who loves us, it makes a big difference. A guy called Thomas Aquinas states that love is willing the best for someone else. And when we will the best for ourselves loving ourselves and then when we know that there is something beyond ourselves that's also willing the best for us it gets rid of it starts to get rid of the anxious fearful thought patterns that we have we have much more of a sense of security and we have hope
because we know that we're not on our own and this life is not the only thing. And from my experience, through the whole anxiety stuff and from the research and stuff that I've read over the years, i found that time and time again, social scientists, um, well-being coaches, psychiatrists, therapists, use a, they, a lot of the wisdom and skills that they pass on, i found, are rooted back in the Bible. They might not know that. Yes, but a yeah. lot of the stuff is rooted in the Bible. Like almost everything that I've been taught from a secular kind of avenue, I could say, I could find this in the Bible as well, which again, really kind of um, gives me more confidence in my faith as well. So like, I remember the cognitive behavioural therapist saying to me, don't project ahead. And I was like, oh, well, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, you know, if you're worrying about tomorrow, it's not going to help you. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. We have to start loving ourselves too many times do we put ourselves down and that causes us to have this low self-esteem. But God's saying, you've got to love yourself as well. Be still and know that I am God. A lot of grounding techniques talk about being still and just being in nature and recognising that there's stuff that is greater than yourself. Gratitude, being thankful. How many times does it say in the Bible about being thankful? Forgiving one another, letting go of bitterness, letting go of the past, forgiving yourself, not being ashamed of yourself. Again, a lot of stuff from the Bible. Um, focusing on the positive in Philippians in a book in the Bible it talks about um, whatever is true, whatever is noble whatever is of worthy of praise you, you know, acknowledge these things and then you will have peace so you're kind of lucky in that. And so there's all this advice in there so I was like oh my goodness I already knew all of this but now I know how to apply it so my faith has been absolutely integral and continues to be integral in my journey of becoming more and more healthy in my thoughts and in my, in my yeah. life as well. Just finishing off with a lady called Anna, Anna Lempska, Lempke. She's a professor, professor and a medical director at Stanford University and author of a book called Dopamine Nation because, again, this is a book written about the fact that we're all much more unhappy than we used to be and how can we change all of that? And it talks about the fact that a lot of us are addicted to things, a lot of it is screens, times and things like that for the younger generation. And she talks about that the fact that we're actually... Not meant, we're not designed to really be addicted to things, but we are designed to be seekers. In our life, we've been put in, there's also, the, we, inside of us, we have got something about us that seeks. We want to seek things out. And then Jesus says, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened onto you. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, but I would say my faith has been the absolute key to getting better. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jules. We are we're out of time, but that's been amazing. We've covered so much material. Yes.